to me all this joy that I have. The world didn't give it to me, no. This joy that I have. The world didn't give it to me, you know. The world didn't give it, and the world can't take it away. This peace that I have, the world didn't give it to me, no, this peace that I have, the world didn't give it to me, this peace that I have, the world didn't give it to me, you know the world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. Mm-hmm. This love that I have, the world didn't give it to me. No, this love that I have, the world didn't give it to me. Yeah, this love that I have. The world didn't give it to me. The world didn't give it, and the world can't take it away. No, the world didn't give it, and the world can't take it away. Amen. Very good. Praise be to God. Thank you, Sister Small, for the message in song. Do we have any announcement before we move into the word today? Sister Gay, I know that you're online. Uh, It's been a while since we've gathered in the sanctuary, but still, if there are announcements that I have overlooked, or if you or anyone has them, please let us know. Uh, No, I don't have any announcements, Pastor. Thank you very much, Sister Gay. Praise the Lord. We're going to call Sister Lola again later on in the service since she uh, did such a wonderful job today. Thank you all for joining in with us. On Wednesday nights of this uh, month, we'll be studying from the Epistle of James. We started this new Bible study series this past Wednesday night, and it has been a blessing. We're looking at the letter of James. James is the brother of Jesus Christ. And he, like Jesus, was a masterful teacher. He and Jesus had a lot in common. James used a lot of uh, analogies. And he was very comical and very down to earth in his teaching. Very much like his brother, Jesus Uh, Of course, he's not Jesus, but he is certainly the brother of Jesus, born of Mary after the immaculate birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has something to share with us. And a lot of what James taught is very similar to that which Jesus taught. Sometimes they spoke about the same subjects uh, in different times and using different analogies. Today I want to contrast, if you will, two passages of scripture. 
scriptures that we know and are familiar with. But I want us again, as I often say, to listen with an ear of anticipation. Even though you may have read these passages before, and even though you might think that you know what's in the text, I want you to open your hearts, your minds, and your Bibles with a fresh anointing, ready to receive insight from God's word that will help you and help me. Two passages of scripture I will contrast today. One is written by Jesus himself, the words of Jesus, as recorded by Matthew, and then the words of James, the brother of Jesus, as James wrote them in his epistle. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 27, we find these words. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 27. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Wherefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will I liken to a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Those are the words of Jesus himself. Listen to what Jesus' brother said in his letter, which we're studying on Wednesday nights. In James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, James says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, is not a forgetful hero, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not brow his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. I want to capture the central thought 
from Jesus's parable and I believe from James's illustration where Jesus compares the one who hears and does. He compares that person to one who builds his house on a rock. The one who hears but does not do, he compares that person to a person who builds his house on the sand. And then James turns right around and says, be hearers, I mean doers of the word and not hearers only. So our theme or subject or title of this brief message today, just do it. Just do it. Jesus concludes his beloved Sermon on the Mount with some stern and much needed warnings. He tells his disciples that not everyone who calls him Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of God. We used to sing a song in Mississippi, everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. Talk is cheap. Jesus is saying, don't just say it, do it. Everyone who calls me Lord will not enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of God. Jesus taught by parables, like we mentioned a few weeks ago, the parable of the prodigal son, the parable of the good Samaritan. Today we read the parable of two builders. Jesus wants us to understand that hearing alone is not sufficient. We must be doers of the word and not merely hearers. Don't just say it, just do it. And that's the title of today's message. Just do it. What do you call a person who professes faith but doesn't live it? We call such a person a hypocrite. Hypocrite is a play actor. It's a, 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 uh, someone wearing a mask. Someone deceiving themselves and hopefully deceiving others. I'm so afraid today that we live in a world where many people believe that Christianity is just a show. It's just a, a mask. It's just something that we put on. We put it on on Sunday mornings. We wear it for a couple of hours and then we take it off and go on back out there in the world and be our real selves. We lay our, quote, religion down. Well, James wants us to understand that we can't just be hearers of the word. We've got to be doers of the word and not hearers only. When I thought about James and compared him to Jesus, both of them are letting us know that hearing is very important. In fact, you would call it listening. And I believe that listening is significantly underrated in our world today. Why do you say that, Pastor? Well, listening is underrated because many people actually don't listen. Listening takes practice. Listening requires uh, a, a compassionate ear. 
Listening requires certain characteristics and certain traits that we don't normally want to exhibit. It takes practice. One of the things that I've learned in being married so many years is the importance of listening. It's a common occurrence in marriage where one spouse will be speaking, the other will be standing there, but not really listening. You know, you can be perfectly capable of hearing sounds coming from your spouse's mouth or even your children. But in reality, all you're hearing is sound and noise. You're not really listening. I've sort of come up with some names for these different types of listening that I've observed during my lifetime. I don't know if you've observed them or not, but I want to share some of my thoughts with you. Now, you may have your own names for these types of listening, and that's okay. I'm not going to get stuck in names. But I, I've noticed that one of the listening characteristics or traits that I have observed is what I would call goal-tending listening. Goal-tending listening. Now, I don't claim to be an expert in soccer or even in basketball. I didn't play those sports. But I've read, I understand from what I do know about soccer and even basketball, there is something known as goal-tending. Goal-tending is the action of stopping the ball or the puck from entering the goal. It's a violation when a defensive player interferes with a shot so that it will not make its intended uh, destiny. That's called goal-tending. In basketball, goal-tending is a violation or interfering with the ball while it's on its way to the basket. It's in a downward flight. It's above the basket ring. It's about to score, and then you do something to deflate it, to distract it, to not allow the ball to reach its intended goal. I've discovered in my lifetime that sometimes we practice goal-tended hearing. I made our spouse, our, our co-worker, our children may be speaking to us and they're really trying to say something that we need to hear. But instead of listening as we should, we listen like goal-tenders. We're listening for an opportunity to get a word in. We're listening for an opportunity to refute what they're saying. We're listening for an opportunity to get our point across. And as a result, we really don't hear what the person who is speaking is saying because we have blocked them. We have not allowed them the privilege of speaking and telling us that which it is that they want us to understand. I call that goal-tending listening. Your spouse is talking. You're standing there, but you're waiting for an opening so that you can get a chance to say what you want to say. And as a result, you didn't really hear what they said at all. Goal-tending listening. And then I believe that there is a passive or inconsequential type of listening. And again, you may have a different name for this, but 
By this I mean when we uh, we're listening and yet we're really not allowing what we hear to make any difference in where we stand. I do that quite often when I go to certain stores and someone is trying to sell me something. I go to the mall. I don't go to the mall too often, but when I do go, I'm going there looking maybe for a suit or a pair of shoes and somebody's trying to sell me a necktie. But I'm not looking for a necktie. I'm only looking for that which I came into the store to purchase. And so the person just talks and talks and talks and I just stand there and look at them as though I'm really interested. And when they get through, I go straight to the shoe rack or the suit rack because I never intended to buy a necktie. Passive, inconsequential listening. It's as though everything that they said, they could have kept it because I had no intention of being persuaded by that which they were saying. Sometimes we're that way with the word of God. We listen, but we have no intention of changing. We have no intention of allowing the word of God to reframe our way of thinking. We're just going through the motions, waiting for our opportunity to speak like a goaltender but not really paying any attention. I believe that the most effective listening would be active or reflective listening. And by this, I mean listening with the intention of understanding, listening to what the person who is speaking is saying to us with the hope of understanding, with the hope of being empathetic, with the hope of learning something, with the hope of making any necessary changes. So often when people are speaking, what they are not saying is just as important, if not more so, than what they are actually saying. So when I look at this text in James and I look at this parable in Matthew, Jesus and James both are letting us know that when we hear and don't do, we deceive ourselves. We fool ourselves. Self-deception is mentioned several times in the Bible. I'll give you a few examples. In 1 John 1, 8, John says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If you believe that you have never sinned, you are deceiving yourself. Not only are you deceiving yourself, the truth is not in you. You are a liar. Galatians chapter 6 verse 3 says, If anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Just as we can deceive ourselves into thinking that we are without sin, we can deceive ourselves into thinking that we're all of this, as they say, all of this in a bag of chips. The Bible wants us to guard against self-deception. Self-deception. 
We live in a world that's full of lies and deceit. I've listened to the best of my ability to our president. And God forbid that I speak adversely against our, uh, our national leader. But he's a liar. Every word that comes out of his mouth is a liar. We're doing real great. We're beating this virus. It's going to go away. We're going to open up the schools. We're going to get the economy going. People are dying. And we're leading in the number of deaths related to COVID-19. Yet our national leader is deceiving himself and unfortunately deceiving many others who dare to believe him. In the Bible, there's a man by the name of Samson. He disclosed the secret of his strength to a woman by the name of Delilah, who betrayed him to his enemies as he slept. He was deceived. He thought that telling her these things would win her heart. But in reality, he only deceived himself. Teachers and preachers are begging right now. Don't open the schools. Keep the churches closed right now. And yet there are folk who are grumbling, who are mad, who are angry, who won't tie, dial in, who won't join us online. They're upset because we won't come out to the church building to meet. They're saying it doesn't take all of that. They're deceiving themselves. I have faith. I believe in God. I believe his word. But I also believe in science. I also believe in medical professionals. I believe that this COVID-19 is a real problem. And it requires a real solution, which we have not yet found. Don't deceive yourselves. Don't fool yourselves into believing that this plague, this virus is not real. It's real. In this parable, this wise and foolish man are contrasted. The wise man built his house on the sand. He said, oh, it's not going to rain. Don't believe that fake news. It's not going to rain. Look outside. The sun is shining. There's nowhere in the world it's going to rain. And he kept right on building. Then all of a sudden, the winds came. They blew against his house. The rain came and descended upon his house. And his house collapsed because he had deceived himself. In preparing for this message, I read an illustration I found that I thought was very, very appropriate. I can't attest to the truth of the illustration, but I do believe that it makes a very clear point in support of this idea of just doing it. What I read was about a, a certain uh, man, the Prince of Granada, I believe is what he's called. He was an heir to the Spanish throne. He was imprisoned in solitary confinement for 33 years. Uh, and he was uh, in this place all alone. And during the time that he was there, it is said that he began to do some reading. 
He actually read the Bible. And here's what the article says. After he died, they found some notes that he had written and placed inside the Bible. He'd read it over 33 years of confinement. And at his death, they found that he wrote the middle chapter and the shortest verse is Psalm 117. The word and occurs in the Old Testament 33,500 times. The word Jehovah occurs 6,855 times. The middle book in the New Testament is 2 Thessalonians. The middle chapters is Romans 13 and 14. The middle verse is Acts 18 and 17. The shortest verse is John 11, 35. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. The point being, he read the word. He captured these statistical uh, data. He had it all written down. He had memorized it. He had learned it. But it did him no good because what he read made no difference to his life. It amazes me how people believe, some people, that just joining the church is all I have to do. Just give my hand to the preacher. Just get baptized. Put my name on the church roll. Leave an offering every now and then, and I'm pleasing God. What they fail to realize is you've got to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer, deceiving your own selves. James is telling us to just do it. Don't just talk about it. Do it. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. In James, he goes on to talk about a quick ear, that being being swift to hear. We ought to be swift to hear. We ought to always be willing to listen. Sometimes we talk so much that we can't even hear what is being said. Be swift to hear and be slow, slow to speak. I remember when I was raising my children and I hope that Democritus is not online. He might be. If not, somebody's going to tell him that I said this. But I remember one day when he was a young boy, I heard this noise fussing and huffing and puffing. And I think Democritus and Clifton had gotten into an argument. And I ran downstairs to find out what's going on. They were just ruffling and scrambling and fussing and fighting and carrying on. I had my belt in my hand. I was going downstairs and I was going to beat that boy into submission. And when I got down there, all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to my heart. And he said, that boy is acting just like you. He's doing just what he saw and heard you do. I rolled my belt up and I walked backwards up the stairs. And I went into my room and shut the door. 
and fell on my knees and asked the Lord to forgive me. James said, what a look at ourselves in the mirror and see what we look like. I saw what in the world would I look like going down there spanking this boy for acting the way he saw me act. He was imitating the behavior that he had seen in me. I learned from that point on to be slow to speak. A lot of people wonder sometimes why it takes me so long to make certain decisions because I've learned to be slow to speak, swift to hear, slow to speak. And James also said, be slow to wrath. Have a calm temper. For the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. In James chapter 1 verse 19, we need to learn how to calm ourselves and listen. Just do it. This is what James is teaching. This is what Jesus is teaching. Just do it. Not just talk. Just do it. As I draw this message to a close, let me give you a few other examples from other passages of scripture, not in James and not in this parable that Jesus spoke, but in other portions of his word. For example, in Luke chapter 5, verse 5, it says, And Simon answering him and said, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. In this particular passage of scripture, Peter the great fisherman, the great apostle, the one always impulsive, always ready to speak, was just about to get into an argument with Jesus. Kind of remind me of when I went downstairs to spank DeMarcus. He was getting ready to argue with Jesus. Man, I know how to fish. I've been fishing all my life. And I've been out here all night long and we haven't caught any fish. Now here you come telling me to let down my net and go out deeper into the water. We've toiled all night and we haven't caught any fish. But nevertheless, at your word, I'm going to let down my net. Notice the humility of Peter. Peter said, Lord, I don't see it. I've been out here a long time. Not one fish has come my way. But because you said it, I'm going to do it. Just do it. So he let down his net. And the Bible says he caught so many fish that his net actually broke. He took Jesus at his word. At his word, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess 
Do you not know that the world was created by the word of God? He said, let there be light, and there was light. Let there be a firmament, and there was a firmament. The word of God is powerful. The Bible says, forever thy word, O Lord, is settled in heaven. This is a great principle that we ought to follow. Just do it. Just take the Lord at his word. I believe today that some of you listening to me are facing great disappointment. Some of you right now, your hearts are broken, your loved ones are ill, you're hospitalized. Looks like there's just no way that they're going to get any better. And yet Jesus says that he is our healer. He says, have faith in me, believe me. Just do it. Just do it. Peter said, Lord, I know how to fish. I've been fishing a long time. I don't see any fish out here. But at your word, I'm going to let down my net. And he did. The final illustration I will give is in the uh, first miracle that Jesus performed at a place called Cana of Galilee. He was at a wedding <laughs> and uh, his disciples were there and his mother was there and the wine had run out. And so Jesus told his disciples to go and fill the water pots with water. And the Bible says, and they did exactly what he said. We find this in John chapter 2, verse 7. Jesus said unto them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. Now, they weren't looking for water. They were looking for wine. They were looking for the refreshing drink of wine as they celebrated this grand occasion of the marriage of one of their friends. And yet Jesus told them to go over there and fill those water pots with water. And the Bible says they filled them to the brim. Now, many people today would argue, why in the world would Jesus tell them to fill the water pots with water when they were actually looking for wine? The first thing that I want us to notice in that particular passage is that Jesus Christ has a particular pattern that he often uses when he bestows a blessing upon us. And quite often, he gives us a command first. Do you remember the man that was born blind? He went to Jesus and Jesus told him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And he went and washed and he came back seeing. And the man was blind. But Jesus told him, you go to the pool of Siloam and you go and wash this mud off your face. 
and he went and he washed and he came back seeing. Do you remember also another example in the scriptures? There was a man with a withered hand. He was paralyzed. His hand was deformed. His hand was uh, uh, not able to, to be moved or, or useful. Had no life in it. And he came to Jesus hoping that Jesus would heal him. And Jesus told him to stretch out his hand. Stretch out the very hand that you can't use. And the Bible says he stretched forth his hand. And his hand was restored like unto the first one. What is the point I'm trying to make? Christ's commands are not to be questioned, but they are to be obeyed. The people wanted wine. Christ said, fill the water pots with water. The man wanted his hand healed. Jesus said, stretch forth your hand. Sometimes in life, the thing that Christ wants us to do don't seem, in our way of thinking, to make good sense. Sometimes they seem trivial. Sometimes they don't seem to make sense. Just do it. They may look trivial. They could have said, I'm not going to put no water in these buckets. Man, you must be crazy. Where you come from? Get out of here. But they did it. Just do it. Whatever Jesus says do, just do it. I also love this text because in the same text in John, they looked around and saw Jesus' mother and they tried to turn him into his mama. And Jesus' mother said, whatever he says to you, just do it. Whatever he says to you, just do it. John chapter 2, verse 5. Can you imagine Mary telling those disciples that whatever he says to you, just do it. As I close today, whatever he says to you, just do it. If you're here today and you're discouraged in your heart, you don't know why you're going through what you're going through, whatever he says to you, just do it. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Whatever he says, just do it. That's what Mary told them. She told them that. And as a result of that, the water pots were filled to the brim with wine. And it was the best wine that they had ever tasted. Because they did what Christ says do. Why? should we do what Christ says do? Because he is our only hope. He's our only hope. I was watching the news this morning and I finally saw our president wearing a mask. I don't know if he was wearing it for show. I don't know if he was wearing it just to get some votes. But he was wearing a mask when he went to visit 